0: Welcome to a special edition of the Darden admissions podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share a recording of a recent conversation from our Women at Darden Office Hours series featuring Dean of Admissions, Donna Clark, and Professor Mary Margaret Frank. Professor Frank is a member of the accounting faculty here at the Darden School of Business, and she's also the Senior Associate Dean for Faculty Development. This conversation explores Professor Frank's background her research interests, and much more. I think you're really gonna enjoy this interview. So without further ado, here's a recent conversation from our Women at Darden Office Hour series featuring Professor Mary Margaret Frank.
1: Mary Margaret is not only the John Tyler Professor of Business Administration, but also serves as Senior Associate Dean for Faculty Development and the Academic Director for the Institute for Business in Society. Her academic interests include the integration of business principles and public policy objectives, cross-sector collaboration, and leadership and sustainable investing. These interests began with her research on the effects of tax, financial accounting, and patent reporting on the strategy of corporate management, investors, and entrepreneurs. She created the P3 Impact Award Established with Concordia and the U.S. Department of State, and U and UVA's Tri-Sector Leadership Fellowship Program. Fellowship Program. I've really enjoyed working with Mary Margaret on the Dean staff and many school-wide initiatives, including the Women at Darden 2.0. And so, so grateful for all the work she's done with regard to scholarships, which we'll touch on later too. But please join me, everyone, in welcoming Mary Margaret Frank. Thanks so much, Mary and Margaret, for being here. Thanks for everybody for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I was wondering if you could start out and tell us just a little bit about your background. I watched a really interesting video um, (laughs) about how you became interested in accounting after initially having an interest in math and art. Just wondering if you could just start out with a little bit about your background and how you became interested um, in accounting specifically, and then we'll ask about becoming a professor. Yeah, sure. So um, I went to
2: Carolina. uh, So I am a triple heel. I graduated from Carolina three times. We can talk about that at some other point. But I went to Carolina as an art history major, had every intentions of curating the Met in New York City, um, got to New York City, and I just realized I was not a huge big city person. And so decided, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll... I'll come down and open my own art gallery, Southern Folk Art Gallery, and that's kind of where I thought I was going to go. Went to a a business consortium, and I don't know if any of you bike, but there is a bicycle company called Performance Bicycle. It was started out of a basement in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and the owner, when I asked the question, never be afraid to ask a question. It'll change your life. I asked the question, if you could go back and take a class over again, knowing that you were going to be an entrepreneur, what class would you take? And without hesitation, he said accounting. And so I took accounting that summer. Um, That still doesn't explain how I ended up as a professor. But I think the thing to know about um, how I got to be a professor is that I met um, a man, a professor, who gave me a transformational learning experience. And from that moment forward, my whole trajectory and my life was changed, uh, decided to be an academic at that point. And that's really what has led me to be a professor as well as a professor at Darden. Um, if you go look on our, um, our website, our mission is about delivering transformational learning experiences. And if you, if I could just do that for one student, I think that my life would be made. So that's kind of how I ended up here.
1: Yeah, that's great. How was that experience transformational for you? And how has it been formative to you as a professor? Yeah. So I think what was really
2: amazing to me is he took something that it was a tax class. So that people think of as arcane and boring and not interesting. And he turned it into this amazing thing that was human that had strategy that had um finance it had elo it just turned it into this really amazing cr- problem that required critical thinking uh that i just didn't expect and it really opened my eyes to um you can't buy judge a book by its cover <laughs>
1: That, that's that's fantastic, and it makes a lot of sense because one of the things I hear about you so frequently is the extent to which you make accounting fun. Can <laughs> you talk a little bit? Because um, I hear that again, again, and again um, about you and your approach. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, um, accounting is really
2: uh, actually accounting really is boring. <laughs> Um, the nuts and bolts of it are boring, but it's what you do with it that's really exciting, right? So if you think about your, when you learn accounting to watch people learn the nuts and bolts and then realize what they're capable of and really be able to craft a story about something, it's it's really empowering to be able to have this skill set that allows you to then tell the story. And what I love about teaching accounting at an MBA program is that you focus on how you are telling the story versus the nuts and bolts. You've got to learn the nuts and bolts, right? But you don't have to master them per se. What you have to be able to do is know enough and then be able to tell a story and explain. And to me, that's really what's a lot of fun. Um, And I always say, uh, if you haven't laughed once in class, it's not a good class. So we've got to be able to get to know each other and have
1: a good time together. Mary Margaret, where were you when I took accounting in graduate school? Um, For the audience, Mary Margaret teaches accounting as well as other courses, including impact and ESG investing and taxation of mergers and acquisitions. We get a lot of questions from applicants. I was just in New York, just flew back last night, had a dinner in New York. And one of the questions we get a lot is, how do you teach accounting and other quantitative subjects via the case method? Can you speak to that for accounting? Sure. what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to do some reading,
2: right? We're going to ask you to do some problems. We're going to ask you to talk about or problems or analyze the case. Um, We're going to ask you to think about some skills, uh, some technical material before you walk in and discuss with your learning team, right? So then when you come in, what we're really trying to do is get you to think about the context with which we are making these decisions. So um, it might look like things aren't planned, but we spend a lot of time in teaching teams planning sort of what's the flow, how do you how do you address um, how do you address a conversation that's kind of gone not the way you wanted it to, which is fine, right? What are the different doors you can use, or the questions you can use to get yourself to a different place? So one of my jobs now is um, I'm senior associate dean for uh, faculty development, and I spend most of my time trying to help our faculty think through whether it's qualitative or quantitative. How do you set up a structure? Right. To lead people through the class, but they don't know you're leading. Um, And so while people say I don't get how you do quantitative, I actually don't get how you don't do quantitative this way. And let me pose it this way. So you have a quantitative class. You've done your assignment and then you sit and listen to somebody lecture through the assignment that's been assigned where's growth in that learning, like We're And so to me, what's really amazing is getting, like having some, having a set of knowledge and then being able to go into the classroom and explore it with a group of people led by and facilitated by an instructor. So I, I just,
1: I honestly have a hard
2: time understanding why we don't teach
1: it this way all over the place. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's incredibly helpful. Um, what are some of the fav- your favorite cases that you've written or worked on? Yeah.
2: So honestly, my favorite cases. I write a lot of cases with students, and so uh, my favorite cases are written with students because it's a time they usually take an independent study, and we've uh, decided this is a good idea for a case. Um, and so either I we're learning together. So example is last year, I had a student come to me and say, I'm really interested in cryptocurrency. I want to understand the financial accounting effects for it and the tax effects for it. And I was like, great. I don't know anything about that. That's awesome. And so we worked together to craft a case. We would meet together. I We would go back and forth. It was just like a joint learning project. That's one example. Another example is... I'll have a student who has worked, uh, I had a student that had worked at a large Fortune 500 company and had an experience that was very relevant to one of my classes. And so he worked with me on a case uh, that I'm using in my elective right now. And what's great about it is I'm learning from him about his experience and we've been able to develop that. So anything, I feel like I also get closer relationships with those students that I work with on with cases. And so it's just a really, it's a win-win as far as I'm concerned.
1: Oh, that's great. I also saw um, a video of you talking about the Darden worldwide classes. I know you've led um, several Darden worldwide classes to Uganda, South Africa, um, and I really enjoyed the video um, that I saw in which you're talking about how great it is for you to be a student with this Students, can you tell um, the audience that may not be very familiar with Darton Worldwide classes, maybe a little bit about your global trips and just for as a to offer a couple of examples?
2: Yeah, so um, I started leading uh, the ones to Africa. So I have a, a passion um, uh, for the continent of Africa that started when I was um, in high school. And so I had never been, so, except for my honeymoon, I had been to Namibia for my honeymoon. And so that was from different faculty do it different ways, but because that was my passion. Um, I was very interested in particular in South Africa for a variety of reasons. Uh, I was doing a lot of stuff with cross sector. Uh, So how does the public sector and the private sector work together to deal with social challenges. And I thought South Africa was a really interesting place to go understand that. And so I spent a a lot of time trying to understand how do you give a robust picture of South Africa and where it is and how do we help students? What's really fun is to take students somewhere else and have them learn about a topic. Because I think sometimes when you go somewhere else to learn, you get insights that that you can bring home because you don't always see the things in your home. Sometimes you have to get a fresh look at stuff to then come back and see things within uh, your own country, your own town or whatever. So um, I just have uh, have always uh, loved doing that, taking students to go see different places that um, engage in the world differently. We think about how the public sector and the private sector engage here, right? That's very different than in other countries. And I think that that's important for us to understand if we're going to have a global perspective. Will you be leading one this year? I would like to be, but the dean was really excited about going to South Africa. So I'm, I'm sort
1: of like, as soon as he gives it up, yeah, so go you'll back. go. You'll go back to <laughs> South South Africa, and just in case the audience isn't familiar, um, we do offer Darden Worldwide classes in multiple locations. Yes. Every Darden student is awarded a foundation for a uh, foundation scholarship of three thousand dollars to use for your Darden Worldwide class, and we highly recommend uh, those experiences. I will say that um, we have a
2: colleague in accounting.
1: He's from Australia.
2: And uh, he is in Australia right now leading uh, DWC. He goes twice a year. And what's really wonderful is to have a professor who actually grew up in the same uh, country to be able to lead you and show you their favorite places. So there's a variety of ways that you can engage with faculty on these trips. Um, My favorite is, I love animals. And so um, traveling to Africa, it's really amazing to watch students Take in the beauty of, um, you know, uh, just uh,
1: nature that we don't see here uh, in the same way. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I can't wait to go. That's that's one place I have not yet been. But uh, we're getting a growing number of applicants from Africa. So we're really excited. Had a record number of students from Africa in the first year class. So we're really excited about that momentum. Mary Margaret, you also play several other roles um, at Darden. I'm going to talk about several of them, but I'll start with your role as a member of the Dean's leadership team. One of the things that I most admire about you is the extent to which with so many decisions that are being made, you really emphasize the impact to students. How is this gonna impact students? It's very obvious that you care a lot about the impact you're having on students. And I know you have impacted many, many students. Can you talk a little bit about maybe a relationship with a student that, in in which you really feel like you made an impact and and, uh, how you might have done that? Yeah, I think overall, I think a
2: lot of it, um, especially when you're in the core, so the first year, Mm. um, I think being there. Right, um, especially I think for um, for all students, but uh, students who are from um, outside the U.S. as well as non traditional students. I think whatever business school you go to, that can be potentially intimidating. Right, if you're coming to the U.S., if you're from a non traditional background, and I think just listening to and engaging and trying to help people understand that their self-worth is not like you. I I always tell the story about, I went to a PhD program completely unprepared and you, you have to really believe, yeah, you should continue to believe in yourself, right? Because you got into schools for very good reasons, right? And as you sort of move through um, you might have, No matter what school, you might have a recruiting thing that didn't go your way. You might have. And the question to me is, do you have a group of people around you um, that can be supportive and helpful for you? And that's who I would like to be for my students. Right. Um, I want to celebrate in the amazing things. I just had several students get internships right before we finished. So that was amazing. Uh, But you also want to be there for them when, you know, Things aren't going their way. And I think that just being able to listen, you know, be, being empathetic, um, I feel like that's one of the best gifts I can give the students.
1: Oh, absolutely. Being sort of a source of uh, support, uh, emotional support and um, being a cheerleader for them um, is, is such a huge role. Um, you are also the academic director for the Institute for Business and Society for um audience members who may not be familiar with the Institute for Business and Society? Could you say a few words about the Institute? Yeah. So the Institute for Business and Society
2: was started, uh, I think, 2011. Uh, And uh, we started that program because Darden is uh, founded. uh, We have an an ethics group, Um, you may have heard of stakeholders. Uh, That's a big word these days, uh, stakeholder capitalism. Our ethics group, uh, a man, a professor, Ed Freeman, actually has written a seminal paper on that. And the issues uh, Ed and I began to talk about was that ethics isn't a class about law that you put over in a corner. Ethics is about how you engage with the rest of the world right? It's And so how do we get people to think about how it is that what you do in business affects the rest of the world? Fact, and how do you make those decisions? And so if you think about what we're seeing now in some places, um, there's this whole conversation about impact investing and in ESG. Uh, so that's a really tough conversation right it's it's tough it's not easy and anybody who pretends that ESG investing is easy as or obvious is um is uh, not sort of thinking deeply about what's going on. And so all of these issues are tough. And to create an institute that's able to talk about it and share uh, in those experiences with students, uh, we do several things with students. We run a tri-sector leaders program that comes from the Institute for Business and Society to try and get different graduate students from across the university, whether you be in the law school or public policy school, that you engage uh, with business students so you have a better perspective on how different sectors in the economy think about uh, some of these global issues.
1: Thank you so much. Um, You also lead UVA's Tri-Sector Leadership Fellows Program. Would you mind telling the audience about that program as well? Yes, so uh, to
2: build on that, so it's eight it is um, eight graduate students from the law school, the public policy school in Darden. And what we do is we have a array, uh, array, sorry, an array of speakers as well as like, I'm gonna teach with a med school faculty member, we'll have a law school faculty come and teach. And the whole point of it again, is to bring people together, bring graduate, let me emphasize graduate students together, when you're at, think about what you're in when you're in um, undergrad, you probably engage with a variety of people right across grounds. When you go to graduate school, you have a tendency to get specialized. And what I found is that people got specialized and forgot how to talk to other people. And so the idea behind this is to bring graduate students together. We go to DC together. Um, We have a variety of speakers from all different sectors of the the economy. Uh, We had um, the president of Atlantic Media here uh, last week. Um, I will teach about um, investing on health and well-being in February. And so it's just a weekly gathering. We have dinner together and then we engage in discussions together. So.
1: That must be so interesting. The the topic of um, investing in health and and, and well being. It's a a topic that is of great interest to this generation. That that must be fascinating. It has been, yeah, yeah. And everybody, just a reminder: if you have questions for Mary Margaret, please put them in the Q and am I'm gonna I'm gonna take your questions um, live at, as well. Um, we've had the opportunity to work together um, a bit on the Women at Darden initiative over the last couple of years. Um, You were involved in the first leadership symposium up in Roslyn. Tell us a little bit about your role in the leadership, Women's Leadership Symposium in Roslyn.
2: So um, the Women's Leadership Symposium in Roslyn um, in September was really a Really interesting experience for me because it was one of the first times that I had been at an event where we had women from all different aspects of connected to Darden or D.C. in the same room. It was faculty. It was staff. It was alumni. It was current students. It was prospective students. It was people in the DC area that were interested. We gave away, we awarded several women awards. And I think what was really amazing about it is to watch an amazing group of people. Uh, we all. There were men there as well, right? right. Uh, amazing group of people engage on an issue about Women in the business world. And so it was just a collection of different types of stakeholders that I hadn't seen before, which was really inspiring. Um, This notion of um, I've gotten very interested. uh, So just to uh, give everybody some background, we've been doing women, uh, women at Darden Initiative for many years, probably seven or eight this is our, we call it the 2.0. Um, and I think back in the 1.0, one of the reasons I got very interested in it is I couldn't figure out why women aren't inter- weren't interested in business. And trying to understand what it is that doesn't attract them. Because if you go look at med schools and law schools, the application rate's 50-50, right? And why is it? Because I think it's like, the best job ever. Uh, And so what is it and getting a better understanding of maybe what are some misconceptions. And what I learned is you've got to start talking to women when they're in middle school Hmm. uh, about it. Because if you think about the world and TV and all these things, they don't have a whole lot of people that they see. You start forming, you know, ideas of what you want to be very young in life. And so it made me start to think about how is it that we think about growing the pool, uh, women yeah. that eventually it's a lot. It's not a short term problem. It's a long term issue. How do we keep growing the pool uh, to get more interest, more women interested
1: in business? Yeah. yeah. One of the things I loved about that symposium was the topic was the great reinvention and really reinforced how powerful an MBA is, especially in the future, because they're predicting that this year, this um generation is going to be reinventing their careers again and again, like uh, not like we've seen in previous generations, so it's such a great investment, um, and there were some, some phenomenal um, speakers, including when you hosted a fireside chat with the woman who attended um, the, and received the Women's Leadership Champion Award, Lorraine Harrington. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so one of the nice things about being
2: at Darton, whether it's the symposium or it's other things, there's a a wide range of wonderful people who come, whether it's to speak at Darton to get an award and this amazing time to interact with them. So I had the privilege of interviewing her in um, a fireside chat with a, a bunch of people and she was just a, very gracious and amazing. And then stayed to talk to um, and have dinner with the people that were there. Um, and so just sort of watching, I think one of the things is hearing about people's hearing about her career and you know, everybody's like my career or not everybody, but I think people think about their career as a linear path and there's a ladder you climb. And I, what was clear from her is there's no ladder to climb. It's a zigzag. And actually, um, you shouldn't judge yourself by how fast you get there. Really, you can have more impact through the zigging and the zagging. Sorry, I keep doing my zigging. And but getting experiences, again, it's about the, the long term, not the short term. Um, and so while you may be seeing people move faster than you, the question is not how
1: fast, it's the impact you have once you get there. Yeah, what a great message. Yes, I saw that um, session and it was fantastic. Um, you also serve uh, in a really important role at Darden, given the extent to which Darden really emphasizes the quality of the educational experience and the quality of the faculty. You serve as the senior associate dean for faculty development. Um, what can you share about that role and its importance at Darden? It's this is a significant role that you play. Um, you you were it's illuminating to me how many roles you play at Darden. But if you could talk a little bit about that one, um, that would be fantastic. Sure. So,
2: like at any business, you want I mean, hiring is the most important thing you can do hiring the right people. So uh, I spend a lot of time with our faculty in different areas thinking about um, how we're going to bring new people in. And so we will train them. They will go through a teaching workshop before they arrive in June. And then we will start to onboard them in August. And I will, we will run faculty development sessions on a variety of topics from how do you create an inclusive classroom? How do you we share best tips? Like, how do you... Um, how do you address a situation where you have some students who are moving faster than others? So trying to create conversation because really, you can't le- just like you can't lecture this, right? You've got to engage, experience it. I'll have I'll go sit in on other people's classes. I'll advise mm-hmm. them to come sit on mine or other people's. Um, and so I spend a lot of time with the junior faculty trying to figure out sort of what are their strengths, where the things that they could sort of um, not just junior faculty, though. You know, I go I have people watch me, too, because too, we're always trying to better our craft. Hmm. Um, it's craft. I mean, I think that's the best way to describe the way I think about teaching. I think most people think about teaching at Darden. It's not something we do. It's something we hone. It's a craft.
1: Yeah. Yeah and such an important um role it must be so fascinating for you to sit in and see different styles and maybe some that you want to adopt into your teaching style and vice versa for those that sit in on your your cases as well
2: yeah i um i sat in on a, a first year faculty this year and he did something and i was like oh i'm stealing that right <laughs> yeah um, you know you can you can learn from i think that's the thing If I go back to our classroom experience, I think that's the best thing to understand is learning comes from all kinds of different places. And I think the thing I love about Darden is while the faculty, yes, they have an expertise, we can learn from anybody because everybody's got experiences. And so you can learn from every single person in the classroom if you're just willing to listen. I can learn from every single person in the classroom if I'm willing to listen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true when you walk out, right? If you think about if we're preparing you for a job, right? When you walk into your job and you're sitting in a meeting, you can learn from every person in the meeting. And so I think we're really setting you up to have a growth mindset and think about and listen to people. And what you think might not be relevant when you first start to hear it, if you really listen... I think you can all, I won't say always, I think you can almost always find learning in something that is set, whether it's, you know, it could be, yeah, I don't think I'd say it that way.
1: (laughs) Right. But there's always some learning that can go on. Yeah, you know? It's such a good point. At graduation, I was talking to some graduating students and asking them what surprised them most about the Darden experience. And the theme that I heard the most was I was surprised by the extent to which I learned from my classmates.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that so, that's uh, very true. Because we give, um, we give the class time to
2: talk. I mean, that's the whole point is... Um, Like I will typically, you know, if somebody says something, um, you know, thoughts on what so instead of me commentating on the thoughts, I think of it as so the way I sort of frame it is I'm a conductor and I have flutes and I have clarinets and I have a bass and my job is to try and figure out how to get the instruments to, to play in tune. Sometimes we're out of tune and that's okay. <laughs> it's about
1: learning and playing together. And yeah. Fun. Wonderful. I'm just going to toggle a little bit to some questions from the audience sure. and staying on the topic of faculty at Darden. One of the questions from Shannon is um, she's wondering if you could describe the difference between the faculty at Darden and your perception of other MBA programs. Okay, so that's
2: a really good question.
1: Uh, so my
2: personal perspective. Okay, everybody's got their own perspectives, right? So um, I've been at a couple other schools, and I would say that I think there's a really there's a thread of we enjoy each other, we enjoy teaching together, and we enjoy being with the students in a learning environment. I I really feel like we all feel like we're learning. Right. And so there's a whether it's this faculty learning together in a teaching team or in a section. So I we have section coordinators. So there's a faculty member who is the coordinator for the section. I do that. And um and so just learning together, helping the students figure out how to learn. Um, there is an all in if you want to think about it like that in the first year. OK, now when you move to the second year, I think because the first year's like that, the second year translates, it just translates differently. Right. So I teach I've taught three electives in the second year. And I think the thing that, I'll, again, I'm always trying to do is I have information to help facilitate a conversation and things to get out. But I really want the students to come with their questions and their engagement and what they find is interesting, because that will make your learning more personal, right? Uh, If I just sit up like a bobblehead and, you know, just sort of talk all the time, (laughs) you're not getting out of the learning experience, which you need to get out of it. Uh, So I would think that's the biggest difference. I think we're a little... um, Uh, to put it? We all, I, I, we have very different personalities. I have to put it, at Darden, just like at every school, we have very different personalities. The thing that I think separates is the enjoyment we want to get out of class, right? I am really disappointed when a class doesn't go because I really want the students and us to have like a learning moment together. And I think it's that passion for the learning moment
1: in the class that binds everybody. I haven't had that experience at other schools. Yeah, that's such a good point. I want to go back to something that you just mentioned, because I think it's so important for the students to know that there is a section coordinator. Can you talk a little bit more about that role and the, um, how that translates to the students as they're going through the first year course? Sorry, could you? I missed the last.
2: Sorry, something went out.
1: Oh, sure. Just um, can you talk a little bit about your role as section coordinator? Oh, what kinds you. of issues um come up? And uh, okay. That that'd be great.
2: Sorry, I didn't hear the section part. Sorry. That's okay. Um. So section coordinator. Um. So what I do is in. So there are five sections, ABCD. E, um, I happen to be the section coordinator for C, and so what we have is every quarter you have five class. What the first three quarters here you have five classes, right? And so there'll be five different faculty in each quarter, and I will like the I will walk in the first the first quarter, and I will engage with you all as a section coordinator. Says, hey, how do we want this section to work together? So we'll have a discussion about how do we want to learn together? What are some, you know, how do how do we want to be with each other? What kind of norms do we want to have in discussions, right? The other faculty, some of the other faculty will be there. And then I, you'll elect your represent, like your your section, what we call section reps. And then the section representatives and I work together. So if you have issues that come up throughout the quarter, or the semester, or the three quarters, then we engage. Um, I happen to like, so for example, I haven't done this before because I've only been section coordinator twice, but uh, this year students were, you know, we'd really like to get out of um, Charlottesville and go have dinner. Me Margaret, could you have a seat? <laughs> and I was like, I don't cook. <laughs> How do we do this if I don't cook? And they said, well, could we do potluck? And I was like, well, if it's potluck, I can do that and I'll clean my house. And so we had the section over and just enjoyed being with each other um, at the end of the first quarter. So that's two different things. Uh, I'll engage with other faculty. Um, If there are things that we as a faculty need to do to help our students, I'll do that. So that's kind of the role of the section coordinator.
1: Yeah, that's great that there's that degree of thoughtfulness involved in um, the sections. (laughs) There's a question from Sophia um, and it asks, what drew you to teaching impact and ESG investing? Oh yeah. And how do you stay on top of all that's happening in a relatively new and ever-changing industry? Great question. I should
2: pass you my slide deck, which says the wild, wild west of finance. Um, (laughs) I think when I started teaching, it was the wild, wild, wild west. And now it's just the wild west um, of finance. So If you, I'm trying to think about how to explain it. So I started as a tax person, okay? I I taught tax planning, tax strategy. Um, Then I actually taught accounting, but I I was a tax person. If you think about when you teach tax, you're dealing with the public and private sector, right? Um, And the public and private sector are at some degree, sometimes a lot of people think of them as being at odds. You get taxed and and the private sector doesn't like it. Okay, where you might see a little differently is, oh, the government might provide a subsidy. Right. Um, And like for renewable energy. And that's maybe one way they work together. The government subsidizes and the private sector engages. Okay, the whole point of this being that's a very transactional way to think about cross sector. Right. And I got a little tired of the cross, the transactional nature of it and wanted to better understand how do people strategically collaborate together. And so I started exploring, that's when I went into more cross-sector work and public-private partnerships, trying to understand how do people collaborate together to solve big issues. And you can't solve big issues without the public, private and not-for-profit sectors, right? You You need multiple sectors to solve big problems. So, Um, Once you get into that, a lot of impact investing in particular started in that space. Impact investing and ESG are very different. And so the impact investing is really about, a lot of it is about cross-sector engagement. Okay, The ESG stuff is a little different. In fact, it's a lot different. But when you teach impact investing, you kind of can't teach impact investing without teaching ESG. And you're right. It's ever changing. It's amazing. It's I don't teach it right now. That's the one class I want back. <laughs> I have get because I took this role. I've given it to somebody. I have took my dean's role. I've given it to somebody else. Um, but for me, that was my passion class. Um, it is it is. It is amazing to be in and scary to be in. Um, to me, if we don't get it right, we will deploy capital in really poor ways that it can have really poor unintended consequences. And I don't think mm. we quite know what we're doing. So I find that fascinating. You talk yeah. about how big impact getting that one right, um, that'll affect generations to come. So yeah. that's why I got interested in it.
1: We need to get that class back on your in your... Uh, <laughs> Um, there's a really good question in the Q&A from Laura, who's asking if you can talk about some of the characteristics that you see in successful Darden students. What are what are some characteristics that you commonly see or would encourage maybe students to cultivate?
2: Yeah, um, I would say this is in life, not just. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so life, know, in, life advice, advice is great. Advice. So, OK, y'all are going to laugh at me, but I have a, I have three R's. And I actually think these three R's will make, help you be successful in life, which means an MBA program. Okay. So I got to remember my my kids, my kids know my three R's because I just tell them my three R's all the time. So the first one is resilience. Okay. Uh, And what I mean by that is, you know, you got to, you do the work, right. And the world doesn't always sort of play out the way you want and you get back up and you find a different path. Um, I think that being resilient uh, in the classroom, being resilient on your job search, all of those things are really important. Um, I think about, I tell my, uh, my, my kid, sorry, to talk about my kids, but. That's okay. Um, That's great. These are great life lessons. Right. Resilience, uh, respect. I think, you know, if you think about you're going to a recruiting meeting, having respect for the time you've agreed to go to a class respecting that people have a social contract that you're in class right having respect when you show up at a meeting and being prepared actually you should be doing that your job right you don't show up to a meeting unprepared so I would say sort of resilience respect um, and responsibility um, so what's your responsibility to yourself and to others Um, And I think if you think about those things and you own those things, I think there's no, there's no way you can't be successful in life or an MBA program. Um, You know, if you wanted me to get more specific about MBA programs, uh, you know, I I think every school's different. So I think you've got to, you know, be careful about, you know, sort of saying one Sort of one, three, three work, like that's why I was trying to give life lessons is sort of, I think that will work across all MBA programs. Um, okay, I got a, let me help. So when you go to the MBA, you're gonna be asked to do a lot of things. You're gonna be asked to, you're going there to do networking, social like networking. Like these are gonna be your peers for your friends for your lifetime, right? You're gonna be recruiting, right? and you're going to be learn like you're going to be learning i hope and then there's going to be extracurricular stuff you could sort of put that in networking and i think taking a moment to step back and ask yourself what do i come to the table with and what do i want so for let me give you an example okay i don't have a i have a non-traditional background and i want to go into investment banking okay doable Absolutely doable, okay? We have plenty of students who have done that. But if you have a non-traditional background and you're trying to go into banking, which banking has a lot of interviewing, (laughs) okay? Then thinking about sort of how you are strategic about your extracurricular activities during certain points in time would be important. If you, let's say, have um, a background in something, right? Or let me do another one. You don't know what you want to do. Well, you're going to be spending a lot more time thinking about recruiting. So you've got to think how you play and weight those other things. So, And understanding what you come to the table with, what your strengths and weaknesses are. um, And just sort of, I think, being self-aware, right? I think that's a really important uh, aspect of not only the MBA program, but life. Mm-hmm. I always remember, um, it's about the long, it's about the long, uh, the marathon. It's not a, it's a long run strategy. It's not a short run strategy. Don't get overly worked up about the
1: short run. Yeah. <laughs> Great, great advice. There's a question from Desiree about interactions between faculty in and out of the classroom. And I'm going to jump to one that I am aware of um, that is pertinent to you. I've heard that you played goalie oh, for the Darden Cup <laughs> and wondering if you could tell the participants what the Darden Cup is. And then and then we'll go back into to um, your interaction in the Darden C- Cup in soccer. And did, did you play soccer in college? college did I read that? I only played in high school. um, High school okay.
2: No I went when you go to Carolina you give me a ham to write you have to be that. Uh, (laughs) So uh, yeah so the Darden Cup is a friendly competition you could call it a friendly competition collaboration (laughs) amongst the first year sections that also the second year sections get the second years get involved in. So I am part of section C. And we do things anywhere from we play soccer to we have trivia contests. So one of the things I've really loved seeing evolved over time is it used to be very athletic centric. Now we do a lot of other types of things, fun relay races. Um yes, there's basketball and soccer, but trivia. Uh, there's all yeah, there's all yeah. kinds of um different things that we do. And you accumulate darden cut points. And it's a big thing like bragging rights to win. And um, so in accounting, our our colleague Shane has been in the section that's won the last several years, and he's a little obnoxious about it. And he walks around with the Darden cup and I'm just sort of fed up with it. So I'm trying to motivate my section to win because I'm just tired of watching him like walk around. And so it's all in good fun. Yeah. Right. Um, you can be co- competitive and collaborative at the same time. Um, and I think, honestly, when we're trying to teach, one of the reasons I participate or engage in these things is um, getting to know who your students are outside of the classroom helps you help them in the classroom. I will learn, oh, somebody is really talkative, but is very shy in class. That's helpful for me to know. Mm -hmm. I will engage with somebody who says some amazing things that I would, because they're so shy that I would have never known. And then I know how to sort of engage with them and and get them to get more comfortable in the classroom. So it's, I think when you trust each other, it creates a better uh, environment for conversation. And so I participate so we can build trust. Um, And have some fun along the way. Um, I do not play soccer anymore. The last time I played soccer, they put me on the A team. And I was old. I'm I'm older. And I was playing with division one men. Wow. i Playing goalie and I got shot at a couple of times that about took my breath away when I caught the ball and decided that I'm <laughs> hanging up my um, cleats. Yeah, so I, I'm a cheerleader
1: now. So then, I, then I watched a dated video because um, it made me laugh. One of the clips was Mary Margaret saying, I like, I, you know, I can play goalie in the darting cup and I can take some people out. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't take people out. I'm too old to take people out these days. <laughs> Um, switching gears to another question, you've you, you've worked at Darden for 20 years, big milestone anniversary mm-hmm. coming up. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what has kept you at Darden for 20 years? Because that's really something that's quite an accomplishment. Um, so I have to be at a place that has
2: a growth mindset, right? So. The mission of Darden, you know, you always think about oh, missions, <laughs> company missions, right? But for me, this mission of transformational learning experiences, I love the fact that not only our, is our mission about transforming, um, having transformational learning experiences, but the faculty here on average are very open to being transformed themselves, and I love being at a place like that, where we are interested in learning from a variety of people in a variety of places, and people yearn to learn. And uh, for me, that's uh, that's just really fun. I, I'm actually a, a huge introvert. nobody um, believes me. <laughs> um, I'm a big introvert, but I don't I don't feel like an introvert when the discussion is about something that we can engage and learn on, it it reduces my anxiety about being around people. Um, And so that's just amazing to me is that uh, I can, I can feel part of a group uh, because we're focused on the learning
1: and um, and it makes me less nervous. (laughs) That's great. There are a couple of questions including one from Yulia. Hi Yulia, I just met you in New York. Nice to see you on the webinar. A couple of questions about faculty training for diversity, equity, inclusion, unconscious bias in the classroom. i um, um, wondering if you can address uh, any training or developmental programs that are available to faculty.
2: So yes, I just got off a call about what we're doing next semester. So um, since I've been I've been in this role two and a half years, we were doing stuff before that. Um, but what we do is we run faculty development sessions throughout the year and uh some of the sessions are just about DEI, but really what you want is you want DEI to be threaded through everything. So, for example, if I run a faculty development session on how to use technology, like what are some tools we could use in the classroom? Well, then the question becomes how do you, how does it help make your, how do the tools make your classroom more inclusive? Right? So, in every conversation, what you want to be doing is thinking about What's the topic? And then, how do you think about it from an inclusive lens? So, for example, uh, one of the things we've been talking about is how to have tough conversations, right? That's a skill set. And it's a skill set not only in the DEI setting, it's just a skill set in general. So, that's what we're looking to do have it plan out a series of uh, workshops that we run um, that. Some of them are just about like, for example, unconscious bias. We just had this conversation and I start bringing or we start brainstorming on well, what would be a new interesting way to go at that? Because we've done one several years ago. We have new faculty. What's a what's a different, unique way that will really tap in and, and resonate with people? That's We're always trying to figure out how to do things and teach things such that it resonates with people. Um and I'm trying to think of uh so oh we're also um engaged with our the other thing is we engage with our students a lot. And so I, I'm actually attending um a meeting with the Infinity Club's uh presidents to listen. It's gonna be a listening session. Yeah, they hear what it is that they are interested in and where they're sort of um where we can improve and then we'll take that and think about how to incorporate that into our faculty development sessions. When we do our training for every new faculty member, there's always a session in that training on that. Um, We have an office of um, DEI and we have, I'm constantly engaged, My, my next door neighbor, literally on the other side of the wall here, He's our senior associate dean for and chief diversity officer. And we were just on a call talking about sort of how are we going to build some more of this out? Um, I don't know if that is enough. Um, I don't need yeah. have more pointed questions, but uh, there's um, a lot we're doing. Um, and, you know, if, to me, the issue is, do you have a mindset for growth and learning? And are you are you on a path of mm-hmm. to get better and a commitment to get better? And I think we are. Um, I think uh, everybody's got things they can improve on.
1: Yeah, great. And how wonderful that you're going directly to the various affinity clubs to get their feedback. Um, that, that's fantastic. Um, switching to just a sort of fun fact about you. I know you have a hobby of uh, refinishing furniture. I'm wondering if you could tell people, I- I'd love to know what you're working on now. Oh, it's, that's so
2: funny. Um, yes, so I had... I- I had to take my art background and figure out something practical to do because I don't have time to be unpractical. So I finished redoing all the furniture. I haven't, my daughter is very much into recycle. What is it? Renew, recycle, reuse. Um, And so that was my thing. I bought lots of wood furniture and throughout our house, it's um, secondhand furniture that I've refinished, but I'm done in my house. But I have a college sophomore who's going to be a junior who's going to be renting a house next year. So I have a bunch of furniture in the basement that's my summer project to refinish so that she can use it in her house.
1: And do you stain them or do you do you use color or both? Do you whatever, work on- out- oh, uh, Whatever, I'm all about experimentation. So whatever works. Nice. <laughs> we're we're going to have to rope you into doing some type of training session for those of us who would like to learn how to do that. Yes, <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Um Well, I think we're coming close to our time. So thank you so much, Mary Margaret, for your time and to the audience. Thank you so much for all your great questions. I'm gonna put my email in the um the chat. So if you have any questions um afterward that and I can be a resource in the weeks ahead, please reach out to me. And I know some of you are working frantically on your round two applications uh, for early January. So good, good luck um, as you complete those applications. And thank you so much for joining us. And Mary Margaret, we really appreciate your time and all the insights you shared and pearls of wisdom um, with our applicant pool. Thank you, thank you all so much. Well, thank you all for uh, joining us.
0: And that was a recording of a recent conversation from our Women at Darden Office Hour series featuring Dean of Admissions, Donna Clark, and Professor Mary Margaret Frank, a member of the accounting faculty here at the Darden School of Business, and also the Senior Associate Dean for Faculty Development. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Till next time, stay safe. Be well and thanks for listening.